Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. Well, we find ourselves here in the second chapter of Timothy, 1 Timothy. And if you've not been joining us, if you've not been um, here the last couple weeks, uh, here's kind of where we're at in the letter. Just a reminder, Paul is uh, a former Pharisee uh, who has been uh, transformed, uh, converted by Christ. He's given his life. He's, he's now um, been on a mis- several missionary journeys, taking the gospel to what we say modern-day Turkey, uh, just totally given his life up for the gospel, the sake of the gospel. He is now... Um, has several men that he's been kind of mentoring, and we don't know all of them by name, but he specifically references a few. And here he's writing a letter towards the end of his life to a young man named Timothy. Uh, we think he's probably in his late teens, early 20s. We're not sure, but uh, clearly a, a fairly young man. And, and here he's been writing this letter to Timothy, and he's left Timothy at Ephesus. He's told Timothy to stay at Ephesus. Um, Paul had spent a couple years there prior to this, and, and the church was obviously being established and grounded. Now, you've got to remember that Ephesus is a, is a city um, full, full of Greek um, mythology and gods and, and Artemis, the temples of Artemis and Diana and all of these things. And so the, the culture there was, was steeped in, in false religion, what we would say is false religion, and, and in Greek gods. And so he's obviously, and it was a, a very important city. Um, we see that later the Apostle John spends time there and in pastors there, we believe. And so he's writing Timothy and says he, he knows his time is short, Paul's time is short. And so he wants somebody to carry on this mission of making sure that the church stays healthy. And so he, he wants Timothy and other young men to be able to do this. And so he leaves him there and he departs. Well, then he writes these letters to him. There's going to be two, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. We'll touch on that here in a few months. And he's instructing Timothy. And so over the past few weeks, we saw at the very beginning of this letter, what does Paul do? He, he charges Timothy. He basically, um, it's, it's this military command where he says, Timothy, this is what you need to do. This is what you must do. And he, and he gives him a charge. And, and the primary purpose of that charge is to refute and to correct false teaching inside the church. Now, I think that's the, the responsibility of every believer, but specifically pastors and elders in a church, is to set, make sure that what we're teaching is biblically accurate and honoring to God. And I would say that even in today's environment here in the United States, in the Western world, that is, we are failing at that in many churches. There's many uh, false teachings that are creeping into the Christian church. But can you imagine living in this environment where there's a plethora of, of false religion, other gods, and, and the whole culture was kind of, there was other temples. I mean, we may think, well, there's a, there's a Mormon church or a Mormon temple someplace here in Dayton, maybe, maybe you know. This was like, this was their culture. This was a small group of believers here that was gathering. And so Timothy's task was to make sure that none of that infiltrated the church and, and began to destroy what Paul and, and what God had begun to work up. And so Timothy was tasked for that very purpose. And then in the letter, we, we saw that Paul reminds Timothy of his own experience, Paul's own experience. And I think one of the reasons he's doing that, he's wanting to, he knows that this job that's moving ahead for Timothy is going to be brutal, it's going to be difficult, there's going to be challenges, his faith is going to be challenged probably. 
He's going to question, is God really in this probably? And, and so what Paul shares with him is his own conversion. And I think it's so important that this was the beginning of the letter because what he's telling Timothy is, look, I, I was this man. <laughs> I persecuted the church. I persecuted Christians. I, I was a Pharisee. I was really, I, I didn't receive the gospel willingly. Jesus had to basically blind me and, and transform me. And so in one respect, he's telling Timothy, look, anybody can be transformed by God. And that's so important as we're going to see here in the text. And then he's saying, Timothy, God can do anything. He is with you. And that's really the, the next thing. That's what we looked at last week. He basically tells Timothy, there's going to be challenges, Timothy, and you need, to, you need to be prepared for battle. God has commissioned you. People have, have prophesied over you. They've set you aside. We see these things in you. We see the, the giftedness that God has given you, and, and we, we're supporting you and affirming that in you. And so now we get to chapter 2 in the first seven verses. Paul kind of shifts gears here. Now he's, he's been telling that personal chapter one was really kind of these personal things about Timothy, his charge, how he should live, what he should be aware of, that he, he needs to really be commissioned. But now he kind of begins to turn this because what he's going to begin to talk to Timothy about is how you need now to lead the church, how you need to, the, the structure of the church, how, how they should live, how you should live the right way to do things inside the church. There's a structure. And, and why would he be telling him that? Because you have all these false religions, people coming in and, and want to bring what they have, even though they've become a believer possibly, they're coming in with a whole set of different understanding about worship and about what's, what's right in these type of services and, and because they, they weren't Christian. And so now Timothy is, is learning from Paul what's, what that looks like, what, what's most important. And so here in these seven verses, he kind of begins to to instruct Timothy um, of some very important things. He's reminding him of some very foundational things in the church and what Timothy needs to be reminded of as he takes on this endeavor. If I were to ask you this morning, if you could give a young man who was going to be a pastor, an elder in a church, or maybe a couple, that, uh, two or three couples, a group of people that are going to help found and start a church, like this church was founded some 26 years ago by three couples. I feel there's a couple in the service today that helped found the church. It's here today, this morning. What would you remind them of? If you think about the faith, you think about what God has done, what would be some words of wisdom you would give them? Some foundational things, you may say, well, no, these, are, these are really simple things. Because, see, many times the simple thing is what we walk away from. We forget our first love, as John says in Revelation, right? There's a, there's a church that forgets its first love, the most important thing, right? So what would you tell someone? Well, let, me, let me see. Maybe some of these things that we're going to look at five things that, that, that Paul reminds Timothy about. Maybe some of these things are things that you would, would counsel someone to hold on to, remember, and, and, and to say these are important as you, as you start this local church. So what's the first thing? Paul reminds Timothy how to pray. And I would say, and why to pray, but how to pray. He said, what do you mean how to pray? Don't we all know how to pray? Pray is just talking to God. We, we think that's pretty simple. No, I think Paul challenges Timothy here, right? He, he's gonna challenge him because it's not just about talking to God. It's about what, what are we saying to God? Who are we praying for? 
Because many times we can get very much in a, in a trench of a certain way that we're going to pray this way and, and this is right. And, and I find myself some places not in a good place and, and my prayer life is just not as healthy as I would want it to be. And so let's, let's read 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. First of all, then. Now, that, that term there doesn't mean like, before you do anything else, pray. Nah, you could say that that's an important thing, but I don't think that's what he's, that's not the context of that statement, but I think it would be, it would be fitting that with the first thing we should do is pray, right? I think that's important. What, what he's really saying is, is that, Timothy, prayer is the most important thing. It's the most important thing. And I will tell you that it is the most important thing, and one of the reasons I know it's the most important thing is because we do it the least. <laughs> My point is, is that the thing that we should be doing in talking to God and going to God and asking for his favor and asking and repenting and, and, and being before him is the thing that the, the enemy seems to want to pull us away from the most. And so we become... In our culture, we become extremely busy. We, we have a phone that we can be on our screen every waking minute. And so there's never a time to be alone. There's just never a time. I mean, do you, have, do you build in time for everything else? You, you schedule time for everything else. I mean, we, we, we regiment our life in all sorts of ways. We, I mean, I live on my calendar on this thing. Appointment after appointment, and this is happening, and this is happening, and, and at what time we get up, we set an alarm to get up, we do this, we do that, we, we schedule our kids' you know, activities, and, and we make sure that we brush our teeth, we have to get up in so many minutes because we have to do this, and it takes this long to get the kids ready and have breakfast and, and do this and that, and we have homework time and all these things. And many of us, hopefully not all of us, but many of us, do we schedule time to just be alone with God? Some, some of you probably do. But many of us don't. I struggle with that at times. I'm task-oriented. And so what Paul is saying is, first of all, Timothy, be before the Lord. The task at hand, the task before you, what's going to happen in your life, the most important thing, Timothy, is that you be before the Lord. And then specifically, what does he say there? I'm going to kind of jump to the end of the text, and then we'll come back and deal with the middle. He says that these things, supplication, prayers, and intercession, thanksgiving, be made for all people. What's he reminding Timothy there? And remember the culture that Timothy's in. He's saying, Timothy, all people need your prayers. All people need to be interceded for. You need to be thankful for all people, even people that are worshiping in the temple down the street. Even the kings and, 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 and the Greeks and the Romans who totally disagree. And the Roman culture, Caesar, that dominated everything. He said, everyone you need to be interceding for. Because see, many times as Christians, we become very self-righteous. And we think somehow that we have gotten to know Jesus and on our own, that, that it really wasn't his work that saved us. It was our efforts that got us to where we are. And that if everybody else would just do what they need to do and get to where I'm at, then it's okay. And so I just want to pray for those people. We pray internally a lot. And he's saying, no, I want you to pray for all people. In, in a very similar circumstance, we look at the Gospel of Luke in chapter 6. And, and, and Jesus is talking to them. I won't get into all the context of this due to time. But I think it's important what, what Jesus says. He says, if you love those who love you. Now think about terms of, of praying for people. We care about people. Should we, care? we should pray for everyone. And so this is what Jesus kind of says. If we love people who love you, what benefit is that to you? 
For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is it to you? For even sinners do the same. He's saying, look, if you want to be different, if you want to be set apart from the world, if you really want to be like Christ, then you will love people who don't love you. You will serve people who would never serve you. And, and similar, he's saying, look, you should be praying for everyone, Timothy. These people are, there's, there's no value necessarily. These people aren't doing something for you, but you're praying for them. Why? Because the gospel has come, Timothy, and I am, and what does Paul say earlier, right? He says, look, I am the worst of sinners, but God saved me. And so what he's saying is, look, you don't know. You pray for all those people. You don't know what God is going to do in the hearts of people. Don't, don't start to, to think small about your prayer life and what God is capable of going to do here in this culture. And so we need to pray for all people. And many of us, and I, I would just ask, well, we'll get to that. I urge you, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. Supplications. That's a word we always use in our conversation, daily conversation, isn't it? Supplications. Um, basically, just requests. It's, it's when we go to God, we, we have supplications, we make requests, we ask. In fact, unfortunately, probably a large portion of the Western culture's prayer time is made in supplications, right? I, I want, here's what I need, here's what I'd like, I, here's, here's, help me do this, right? There's supplications. Nothing wrong with that. I think we should absolutely should go to our Father, Heavenly Father, and ask, ask. Absolutely, Jesus tells us to do that. We have not because we ask not, right? Now, the vein in which we ask is important, and so that's really what supplications is. Prayers. He really is, is kind of using some synonyms here in some respects. These are very similar things. This idea of prayer is really just go before the Lord, right? This is, this is this process of going before God and asking, right? So supplications, asking, go before the Lord in prayer and conversation, right? Speak, on, speak to God about these things. And then intercessions, um, this idea of acting on someone's behalf. You're, you're praying for someone else. You're, you're interceding for them before the Lord. They may not know Christ. They may. Maybe they're Christians, and, and we intercede for people here in the church. We pray for each other. The, we have a, an app that we send out prayer requests. Sometimes those people are, are sick or things are going on in their world, and we're interceding. Hopefully, uh, that's what we're doing. We're coming to God and saying, look, this is the, the need. It's a supplication, but we're also interceding for them. It's not something for ourselves. And so we're going before the Lord. Now, I would, I would make the argument that one of the most important things that we should intercede on on behalf of others is salvation. We should pray for salvation. So many times when, and I'll just give you an example, when I get a prayer request and it's not someone inside the church, and especially when they are in the hospital or it's a serious illness, the first thing that I, that I begin to go before the Lord is, is, Father, if they do not know you, Pray that this circumstance, even it may be dire, maybe they've, maybe they've been given a very serious diagnosis and I'm praying or maybe they're, they're in the hospital and ICU. The first thing I begin to pray for is, Father, if they do not know you at this moment, use this circumstance to save them, to bring them to the knowledge of you, right? Because I can pray for their well-being, I can pray that they get healed, but what if that doesn't happen and they die? And if they're not, they're not in Christ, then, then my prayer absolutely was, was no, of no value, the most important thing, I could tag on to what Paul says. First then, pray for all people and pray that God will reveal himself to them and they will become Christians. I would ask you, who are you interceding for? 
This idea of intercession, Jesus is, you see this happen with Jesus. Now, obviously, this is Jesus interceding, so we don't have the same kind of authority that Jesus has here. But we see this in Luke chapter 22. Um, this is where Peter is, is basically, um, it's the, Jesus has, has spent the time in the upper room, and, and his death is coming. He's going to be crucified. And, um, and what do we see here? It says, um, he says it in Luke 22, 31, 30, 31, 32. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And we see that while his, he ignored his conscience, as we said last week, and he, he denied Christ three times, his faith ultimately stood the ground because Jesus restores him and talks to him, and he does love Jesus, but he just caved under the pressure. And, and so this idea that, that we need to intercede, and I'm saying, you know, when, when, how, do, how can we intercede? We can intercede for people that are in difficult circumstances. You know, as, as I think about our children, you know, Tanner shared in his uh, video that at school there's certain things that are going on sometimes in groups of people that, that he, you know, he maybe participated in at one time, but, but now he's trying not to participate, and he's, he's trying to really allow his, his conscience to, to say, no, Lord, I, I don't want to be there. And, you know, we should, as parents, we should be interceding for our children on a regular basis. They are, we are sending them out among wolves. Are we not? And I'm not saying that everybody at the public school is bad. I'm not saying anybody in the world is bad. I'm just saying we're sending them out, by and large, in a culture that does not accept and believe in Jesus. They have a different worldview. And we're sending them out there. And believe me, if you send them to college, there's a lot of wolves. And they don't even realize necessarily that, I mean, it's not like people are, well, there may be a few that are intentionally trying to do harm. They just have a different mindset. They may be moral people. They may be good people in that sense. But the fact is what their worldview is, is deadly for eternity. And so one of the things we need to be interceding, we need to be praying in so many ways. We can give them strength. Just like he, he says, I prayed for you that you will not fail. Pray for your children that they will stand strong in those moments. Because those moments are going to happen. They're happening in our lives as well. But we need to intercede for our kids. If they're on the college campus, pray that God will bring them friends that are Christian. Pray that they'll, they'll be strengthened by others. Pray that there will be a, a professor that will be a Christian that will support them. Right? Pray that God will make himself real in real tangible ways so that they can remember what's, what's true. And, and sometimes... We just need to intercede, and, and we don't even know what we're interceding for. We just need to pray that God's protection over them. We just need to pray that, that, is, that he's there with them, because we don't know all the circumstances that are going to happen. Now, here we see not only does Jesus intercede for Peter, but if we look at Hebrews, we can see that Jesus is um, part of his, his responsibility as, as the Messiah, as our Savior, one of, the, one of the things that he does for us is he intercedes. We pick it up here in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23 through 25. It says, the former priests were many in number. Now he's talking about all the, the Old Testament priests, all the ones that did the sacrifices at the temple and the tabernacle. He says, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. We went through Hebrews here just not a while back, and basically these guys aren't continual priests because they die, right? They die, that's all that means. But he holds, meaning Jesus, his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, in other words, on, as the result that he lives forever, consequently he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him 
since he always lives to make intercession for them. Today, Jesus, our Savior, is making intercession for you and me. Right now. Perpetually. For all that believe, he's making intercession. He's just like he's interceding there for Peter, he's interceding before the Father on our behalf. And when we pray, we, I am thanking God for his intercession. I'm praying and thanking him for the, the Holy Spirit working in my life, directing me, and I, I trust that he's interceding continuously for me. And then he says, and thanksgiving. This idea that I think he's reminding Timothy, Timothy, in your prayers, be thankful. Now, specifically here, I think he's saying be thankful for everyone Now, clearly, there's other things we should be thankful for. We should be thankful for the gospel. We should be thankful for salvation. We should be thankful for the Messiah. We should be thankful that God is loving. We should be thankful for the things that he's given us, for our health. I mean, we could go on and on and on and on. But specifically, I think in the context of this letter, he's saying be thankful for all these people. That God has brought people and, and put people in the world, and you need to be thankful for them. Because if you're not thankful for them, Timmy, you will not want to pray for them. Your attitude will be askew about why you should be praying for them. These are people that God has created for his purposes. We see Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, use some of these same words. I won't read the whole passage here, just verse 6. And it says, he's reminding them in the church there at Philippi not to be anxious about anything, but by everything, by what? Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. Now here I think what he's saying is, be before the Lord, Ask what you need, but be thankful for no matter what, because you're not always going to get what you want, but always be thankful. And I think that's a good posture in our prayer life is that that we go and we ask, but we know that we are so grateful even if we never get what we're asking for, because what he's already given us is more than we ever deserve, right? Especially as a believer, you've been given eternal life. You've been given forgiven for a lifelong sentence of sin and judgment and Christ has come and died for you and if you get nothing else in your life, is that not enough? Is that not enough to be thankful for? Right? I I remember um, several years ago um, I was just married and uh, we were, my mother and father-in-law's house, we were remodeling our home. We, we just got married, and she was, had two children, and my house was only 800 square feet. So while I loved these two children, that was going to be too small for me. And, um, and so we needed some bedrooms, and so we had Christmas over at um, my in-laws, and we took all of our gifts over. And, and we had this little, even though I'd been married a couple years or maybe a year, and we dated, and we had this little tradition that we would hide a few gifts, um, kind of a bigger gift, like someplace else in the house and we'd go through everything and, and then they wouldn't get their big thing and then they'd be like, you know, something greater. I remember that morning, they opened their gifts and there was no appreciation. They ripped through them. And I think they knew, like, I want to get to the thing. I know there's probably something hidden here in the house and they just had no appreciation and I was like, here. And I'm like, I'm not even going to tell him what's in the bathroom. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to give it to him. And eventually we did after we browbeat them a little bit and made them feel shameful and bad. Um, I don't know that it mattered to them. They took it and they still got the gift, right? But it's this idea of appreciation. It's, it's, 
I think in the Western world especially, man, we, are, we, just, we are just are not very thankful for much. I mean, we can be thankful for everyone and everything in some level, even people that annoy us. They, they are, we can be thankful that God has put them in the world for a purpose and a reason, and, and, and we just need to be grateful. And so once again, I just want to, as we kind of close out this first point about how to pray and who to pray for, I just want to, who are you praying for? Who are you interceding for? Are you praying beyond your, your family? Are you praying? Are you, are you petitioning the Lord even beyond your own behalf? We need to be petitioning the Lord for other people. I think maybe the best one I could say, um, here's a test for you. Wherever you are on the political spectrum, are you praying for the other side regularly? I won't ask you to raise your hands. Because shame would fall over this place, right? Are you praying for the neighbor that you just can't stand? Or the relatives that just drive you crazy or maybe even inflicted harm on you at some level? Are you praying for a parent that maybe was abusive in childhood? That they would come to know Christ. That their heart would be transformed. See, because the, the real root of that is that when we look at people and I think that's why Paul shared his testimony with Timothy. He said, Timothy, don't look at people because you could have looked at me that way, Timothy, because I was that man. But God transformed me. So Timothy, don't ever look at people like that because he can transform you. He can transform anyone. And, and here's the thing. When we begin to think and look like that, we become Jesus, more like Christ. I mean, how did he treat sinners he loved them. He spoke truth, yes, even to the Pharisees. He was harsh on them a little bit. But he spoke truth. And, and we should have an empathy for people. It doesn't mean we have to agree with their lifestyle. It doesn't mean we have to agree with the way they live. It doesn't mean that we need to, to go have pizza with them and, and, and do all those things. It just means that we need to have an empathy because the reason that you are that have the knowledge of Christ, the reason that you have been born again has nothing to do with you but only the grace of God. And so when you look at someone else that is not there, you cannot say, why don't they get there like I got there? Because you didn't do anything to get here. Now you have a responsibility once you've been born again to live a life pleasing to God, to live holy as he is holy. But when I look at my neighbor, let's say, because that's just what Jesus uses, and they're not where they need to be. They're not a believer. I want to have empathy towards them. I want to be praying that God will do for them what he has done for me. And if I don't, if I don't have that empathy, if I don't look at it that way, I become a self-righteous Christian and say, I am better because I know who Jesus is. I am no better. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And so how we think is so important. And in our culture, man, we are just not there I mean, I don't want to lump people into big groups, but, you know, especially in the political world and the Christian right, look, I, I, we should vote. We should, we should care about things. If, if you want to go and, and um, share the gospel with people at an abortion clinic and, and you want to do that, but, but how you do that and, and to be loving and, and to stand firm, but be loving and to care about them. What have we said lately? The God of this world has blinded people to the light of the gospel. Unless God opens their eyes, they can't see the gospel. All right, so here he goes and finishes this up in verse 2. He 
kind of now he puts some meat on these bones about who he's going to be praying for. He gets a little specific because I think these are the ones that are going to be hardest for Timothy maybe to pray for. And there's reason to pray for these people, he's going to tell him. It says, for kings and for all those in high positions. Right? I'm just going to stop right there. Because he's saying, I know, Timothy, those are going to be tough ones for you because they're the ones that they're overseeing you. They're the lording over you. But those are the people you need to be praying for because they are going to make it whether you can live a peaceful life or not. He's going to go on to say here, right? So for kings and all who are high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And so you need to be praying for Caesar, Timothy. You need to be praying for the, the Roman procurator. We need to be praying for the, the city governors there at Ephesus because they have the ability to help Christians have a peaceful life that they will not establish and they will not interject into to the culture and, and, and manage and manipulate you. One of the great things we love about the United States, right, is our founding fathers said that they would, we have freedom of religion, right? That, that we could practice our faith freely, that they would not impose. They came from a culture where that was imposed. And that's really what, what he is saying here. He says, pray that they will not do that because you will have a peaceful life. He's not saying pray that we will have a, a Christian nation. I'm not saying you can't pray that, that godly people will be in the government and, and they'll make godly laws. Absolutely, we should be praying for that. But God never promises that. That's heaven. That's heaven. We're not under a, a theocracy any longer that way. We should pray and we hope and, and pray, and, but, but ultimately, that's not where we are. As Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. And then obviously this idea of leaving, living a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified, this idea that we are reverent and respectful. You know, when, when we live that Christian life, don't we want people to look at us and, and see Christ in us? I mean, we, we want people, I mean, we may be, they may think we're crazy for what we believe, they may think, man, that person believes in Jesus, some guy that lived 2,000 years ago and died and rose from the dead. That guy is crazy. But you know, he sure does love me a lot. He sure is kind to me. Why would he do that? What, what, is, what does he have? And why does his, his God or his belief perpetuate him to do those things, propel him to do that? Because, see, that's our witness. We, we, it's not, not being in their faith, faith, shouting theology at them and telling them that they're going to go to hell if they don't change their ways. Now, there is a point to have serious conversations with people. Don't get me wrong, but not, not unloving. Think about how Jesus dealt with the woman at the well. She, he was direct. You've had five husbands. The one you're living with now is not your husband. Right? He, he, but he loved her. He was respectful to her. First Timothy chapter two, verse three. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God, in the sight of God our Savior. Paul is just saying, look, if you do this, Timothy, it's good. If you pray, you petition, you pray for all people, and, and, it, and you're praying for this thing. It is good that this is what God wants. God is a God of, of love and peace, and, and he wants to have peace. And notice that he says, in the sight of God our Savior. This idea that he is acknowledging 
the Godhead here in a lot of ways. He's saying it's God, but he's our Savior. So he's referencing Christ even in that statement, right? This is good. It is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. That term is used another place in Luke it, when, when the angel comes to Mary and she sings her song. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. It's this, it's, we're attributing salvation to God. We're saying he's the one that saves, God, my Savior. Now we know that, that that person in the Godhead comes as Christ Jesus and becomes our Savior, but it's this idea where we're ascribing these attributes to God. He is our Savior. We do not save ourselves. And it's a position of, of understanding the humility. All right, so how to pray. We've got to go through these next four now really quickly. That was the big one. The next one is God is good. God is good. He's, he's reminding Timothy that God is good. What does he say? In verse 4, it says, who desires, this is, he's saying, who, God our Savior, right? God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Who does he desire to be saved? All people. So, so God is good, right? And he wants us to come to the knowledge of the truth. He desires everyone to be saved. <laughs> Do you have people in your life that you think, man, I don't want them to be saved. They are just miserable, <laughs> right? I mean, I know you think, no, we, no, I think we, the, the fact that we don't pray for them, the fact that we don't intercede for them is really speaking in large ways to say, no, I really don't care about them. I, I really don't. If they spend eternity in hell, then that's their own deal. That's not that's what he's trying to tell Timothy. Timothy, if you're going to lead this church and if you're going to raise up a, a group of people that are going to be Christ-like, all people are worthy of prayer, of intercession, God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, does everybody come to the knowledge of the truth? No. Some people will take that and, and create universalism out of it, believe that everybody, because God desires it, then everybody will go. That's not what God is saying. That's a very deep theological thing we don't have time to get into this morning. Can God desire something but not will everything like that to happen? Yes. You can come talk to me about that, but that's a, that's a very deep subject. Right? You can say, well, if God desires it, then why doesn't everybody get saved? Well, we have responsibility. We have decisions. It's a whole, whole series of messages there. In Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, Jesus says, he says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and claim the gospel to the whole creation. Everybody gets to hear the gospel. Everybody should hear the gospel. Now, notice what he says. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. So he desires all people to hear the gospel, to come to the knowledge of the truth, and if they believe, they will be saved. There's nobody on a blacklist that says you can't be saved if you believe. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. It's pretty clear. Wide road, narrow road. And a universalist, I don't quite understand their theology because when in the Sermon on the Mount he says, you know, the wide road leads to destruction and many will go that way and few will find the narrow road that leads to life, then that just shoots that whole doctrine, that whole belief system out of the water. Most people will not be saved. And we look around and that's just evidence of the, we look around. Just look in our own country, look around the world. If, if Jesus is the only way, then most people aren't going to be saved because they're not living that way. No, they're not professing it even. Judgment is ahead for those who do not believe. 
the knowledge of the truth. Here he's, is this idea of, you could say, was well, that Jesus? Yes, but I think what he's really saying, the knowledge of the gospel, the knowledge of exactly what God does to save us, right? That we're sinners, that's the knowledge of the truth. That we, we, are, we are sinful from birth, that's the knowledge of the truth. That God has come in the person of a man and has lived sinlessly, that's the knowledge of the truth. He really did not sin that he really did die, that he really did raise from the dead. That's the knowledge of the truth. And what, is, what does that do for us? Is that Jesus comes and says he's the propitiation for our sins. He's the, he takes the wrath of God. The fact that God is just and holy. The knowledge of the truth, that that's who he is. And see, today, we've said this many times, we, we deny the truth. We looked at that several weeks ago. We deny the truth because we, we want to live how we want to live. And he wants us to come to the knowledge of the truth and not believe the lies, it says in Romans 1. This, it's an objective moral and spiritual truth about God and the gospel. Second Peter, verse chapter 3, verse 9, it says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God, and, and this is, this, think about this, how this flows into what Paul is telling Timothy. Pray for everyone. Timothy, you're going to have people come into the, the church, and, and, and they're not going to want to worship the way you think they should worship. You're going to have to correct them, but love them, pray for them, intercede for them, be patient with them. Right? I mean, one of the things as a pastor, and, and this is true for all of us, I'm just speaking for my, my hundreds and hundreds of people come from all, we, we are a melting pot here at the Ridge of, of people with different belief systems and come from different doctrinal positions. And, and you know, and yet I, I have a, I think the elders and I, we, we look at a scripture a certain way and we say, I think this is true. We have to be patient with one another. We're going to hold our ground unless we see there's truth otherwise. We're going to hold our ground. But I want to be patient. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to be self-righteous with anybody. Look, you can come and you say, I think this. And I'm saying, we don't see it that way. We're, we're going to dive into some of those things here recently. The role of men and women. That's going to be a challenge for some people here, how we see it. And, and, and I'm not saying we have every right answer. We're, we're wrestling with Scripture and, and we're trying to rightly divide it. The role of deacons in the church. We, we, don't, we don't use that term here. Maybe someday we will. We call them servant leaders, but there's just going to be some challenges. But, but we want to love one another as we wrestle for the truth. And so we need to be patient. All right. So he teaches us how to pray. Obviously, he, that God is good. God is good. That's so important to remember. And the third one is that Jesus is the only way. Now he's reminding that, hey, we pray, Timothy, Remember, God is good. He, he saves. He has the ability to save. He wants no one to perish. But let's dive down a little bit, Timothy. Jesus is the only way. He wants people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants them to come to repentance. But you can't compromise on this one. Right? So what's he say? Verse 5. It says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. That man, Christ Jesus foundational statement. If someone was planting a church and you'd say, well, what should I remind them of? There's one way and don't ever move away from that. Nothing can save you except for the work of Christ, in Christ alone, by faith alone, by grace alone, right? It's him. And notice, sometimes in scripture you'll see this uh, between God and man and the man, Christ Jesus. And a lot of people will think, 
well, no, it shouldn't be Jesus Christ, and Christ is not his last name, right? Some people think that. Well, it's Jesus Christ. No. What's, what's the emphasis here? Christ, the Savior, Jesus. That's why, it's, that's why it's worded that way. The man, the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus is his name. Acts chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. Here he's, he's talking to the Jews. The builders which, uh, which has become the cornerstone. So the, the people of Israel rejected Christ. He becomes the cornerstone now, right? Of the building that he's going to build, the church. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. And, and so much of the, the Christian church is, is, is not standing on that. I mean, I don't know how you can, I don't know how you can consider yourself a Christian and think that, well, all kind of roads lead to heaven. He's just one way. And there are churches that are doing that. Because, think about that. I used to say this all the time. That's like, that's like saying Jesus was brutally beaten and punished and mocked and ridiculed and hung on a cross for absolutely no reason because we could have went that way and got to heaven. No. No. I love how the proverb, the proverb puts it in 14.12. He says, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end leads to death. There's, there's a way that seems right to us in our fallen nature. There's a way that seems right to be all-inclusive. That seems right. It seems like, no, we wouldn't want to be harsh. Well, we shouldn't be harsh, but we should be clear. We should stand on the truth. But yet there's a way that seems right to us. Just let it happen and let, let no, that leads to death. That leads to death. All right, how to pray that God is good, that Jesus is the only way. Number four, Jesus willingly died in our place, right? Jesus willingly died. What, this, this, what does this show? Not only is Jesus the only way, and not only that God is good, but he demonstrates his goodness in that fact he went to the cross willingly, right? Jesus willingly died in our place. It demonstrates his love for us. And so what does Paul here remind Timothy in verse 6? Right? Not only does he say there's one mediator between God and man, that man Christ Jesus, but he says, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. He's saying, look, Christ laid down his life that we could have this. Timothy, don't forget that God is good, but that, it, it, that God demonstrates his love. That's what you want to share with people, Timothy, is that he demonstrates it by giving his life for us. We see this again in John chapter, in Gospel of John chapter 10, verse 11. It says, I am the good shepherd, Jesus says, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He dies for his church. For those that will believe, he dies for them. And it says, which is the testimony given at the proper time? Okay? I think what, what he's saying here and it's, is this, Timothy... This is the time. Christ, God decided that at this time, it was the right time to come into humanity, come in to time and to, to be the Savior and to die. I've heard some great messages on why that was one of the, some of the reasons why it was the right time, right? And, and we can, that's kind of subjective. But you could say, look, when he, when he came, um, Rome dominated the whole known world kind of. And so 
much of the world, they kept the Greek language, so much of the world spoke Greek. They spoke other languages too, but many spoke Greek. And so Paul was able to go and to go to all the world, all the way from Rome to Judea to everywhere, and, and to speak to people and to share the gospel in their language because everybody was speaking Greek. What a time to be able to do that. It was safe to travel because Rome was was dominant and, 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 and it wasn't dangerous really for the most part to be able to, to travel and to do that. So it made it possible for Paul to travel. Rome had built roads everywhere. What do you think the statement says all roads lead to Rome? They built roads everywhere. And so the known world at that point was easy to, to maneuver. It's this perfect moment in time where, where Jesus comes at the right time to the Jewish people He has set up a way that Paul will be one of the people that that he's going to use here to reach the Gentiles. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. He's just, once again, he's just saying, Timothy, God is planned all this to work out just the way. And Timothy, you're in the midst of it. This is the time. It's the proper time. And so Timothy, don't, don't back away. God is, because has ordained this for this time and this place and this movement. He has saved me. You need to pray. You need to beseech him. He's good, Timothy. He wants no one to perish. Pray for all people, Timothy. Trust him. He's called you for this moment. I love it how Paul says it in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. He says, for, we were, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time. I don't, I don't, it's beyond me, right? It's, it's, God sees it all. He's before and he's the beginning and the end. He's, 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 he sees it all. He knows exactly the right time providentially to do what he's going to do, and so he does. Number five. This truth that God is good, that he's the only way, and that he willingly died for us must be shared, Timothy. This truth must be shared. It must be. Timothy, that's why, that's why God's placed you here is not only to, not only to, to, to keep false teaching, but, but this truth needs to be spread out. It needs to be shared. The whole idea of the church is to go out, right? Not to gather, but to go out. To be salt and light and witnesses. And so what do we see here in the last verse of chapter 2, verse 7? Paul says this, for, for this reason, or for this, I was appointed. Right? That God appointed him for this. And we could go back into to Acts chapter 9 and see where this all took place. It, he tells Ananias, I'm going to use this man for my purposes. And he goes on and he says, and he will see how much he has to suffer for me. He's been appointed for this. We see that Timothy had been set aside for this. They had prophesied over him, and and Timothy was set aside for this very thing. For this, I was appointed as as a preacher and an apostle. And I love this. And it says, and I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. Right? I mean, because they're saying like, okay, you used to kill Christians, Paul. Like, and he's saying, no, I'm telling you, I've been appointed for this very purpose a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. To share this testimony that came at the right time. And so if you were to counsel someone that was starting a church or that came to you and said, what must I make sure that I'm doing? 
There's many things we could tell them, but I think it is, say, well, you need to pray. Of first importance, you need to pray. Because if God's not in this, you need him to be in this. Remind them that God is good. Because it's going to be hard, and you're going to question his goodness, possibly. Remind them that God is good. Tell them to hold to the doctrines of the faith that Jesus is the only way. Never leave that doctrine. We can disagree on when Jesus is coming back and, and, and you know, this, and this way or this way, but, but that doctrine is a salvation doctrine. No other way except through Christ. That God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ willingly died for us. That's a foundational understanding of how God loves and demonstrates his love for us. And that if those all things are true, if you're going to lead a church, it is about sharing the gospel with those that do not know him. Yes, we want to care for the sheep, but we share the gospel with those that do not know him. So what's the takeaway this morning? I think it's just that we must remember. We must remember these things that, that Paul has shared with Timothy. Those things are so true in our life today. We must pray. We must be first and foremost, we must be in prayer. Always. It's the most important thing. We must pray for all people. We must have a heart that's, that's pouring out for all people. We must be broken for the lost. Because otherwise, we become self-righteous. That God is good. Right? He is good. He's demonstrated his goodness. He's, he's given us life. He's willingly died for us. And Christ is the only way. And that just absolutely must be shared. And so I would just ask you to remember that. And I would say to you, I would challenge you, how are you doing in those things? Are you holding to those truths? Are you praying? Are you interceding? Do you believe that God is good even when things aren't good in your life? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, I thank you that you continually remind us in Scripture about the foundational things that, that we need to be doing and how we need to think and how we need to live. And Father, as we're going to see how, you, how Paul reaches out to Timothy and instructs him how to live and how to teach the church, how to function and how to live, um, Father, these foundational things are so important. May we be first and foremost about prayer, about coming before you and letting our petitions be made known, our supplications. May we be, have a heart to intercede for the lost or for the hurting, for the sick, or for the deceived, for our enemies, for those who hate us. Father, they don't have the gospel. They don't see the light they're walking in darkness, Father. May we intercede and, and pray that they will come into the light, that you'll remove the scales from their eyes and, and give them a heart of flesh and versus a heart of stone. And Father, would you help us to hold fast to the doctrine of salvation that we're saved by grace through faith alone. Help us never waver from that, Father. Help us to, to proclaim that lovingly but boldly and help us to share that truth with a hurting world who desperately needs to hear it. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at theridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.